thinking about uh, a story that I've told a lot over the years. I started out week one telling you I like to tell stories, and they get me in trouble sometimes, but we're all thankful for those things that have happened in our lives that, that give us things that we can talk about, right? Uh, for me, I was uh, a young youth pastor. I know it's hard to imagine when I was a young youth pastor, but once upon a time, I was. And uh, I had grown up in the great state of Nebraska. Give it to me, Nebraska. All right, thank you for that support. All right, Jerry grew up in New Jersey, all right? It's not much better, right? Right? I mean, we're just thankful to be here, as Jerry said uh, earlier. But in Nebraska, one thing that we don't do in the winter, while we get lots of snow, we get lots of cold, we don't uh, snow ski, all right? And so I moved uh, to New Jersey, and one of the things that they did in this particular church every year was they went on this uh, ski trip. And we're not talking just like an overnight thing. This was like three days of skiing. And I had never been skiing before. I don't really like heights. I don't like being at the top of a, of a roof looking down over. I just, I just don't like heights. And so the thought of going skiing uh, just was not exciting to me at all. But here I was, the new uh, young youth pastor. And so I was going to go and I was going to learn how to ski. And for those of you that are um, maybe from New York, you might be familiar with this uh, mountain called Gore Mountain. Uh, Gore Mountain at one point was um, where, when the Olympics were at Lake Placid, they actually held some of the events at Gore Mountain, all right? I'd done some research ahead of time, realizing I really didn't want to learn to ski at Gore Mountain, but they took me up there, and the first day, Diana and I, we learned to ski on the Bunny Hill, and I thought, man, I got this. I got this. I am athletic enough. I've got this, and we were going to be there for three days, so I thought, day two... I will go ahead and I will ski. And one of my youth leaders who, uh, just last night as I was thinking about this, I tried to locate him on Facebook. He's no longer on Facebook. Because of things like this, which he's done to me, he, uh, he may be with Jesus now instead of uh, being here on this earth. But he said to me, Brian, how about before we get on the bus and go, since you've been on the bunny slopes all day, how about we go to the top of the mountain and I'll ski down with you? And I said, you know, today has been a good day. I think I'll just let it be. I think tomorrow, you know, I'll, I'll start to, to, to do that, but, but not today. He goes, come on, just one run, uh, which I didn't even understand what run meant, right? I mean, I, run to me means like this on a level surface, right? He said, just one run down the mountain. And he said, I'll be with you every step of the way. I, I was new to the church. I trusted him. One of the things I learned very on in youth ministry, do not trust anybody that works with middle school and high school students. Don't trust them, right? So we got in line to get on the chairlift, and, and at, he's talking to me, and we're moving forward on the chairlift. And then I realize, I think to myself, self, you've never been on a chairlift before. You have absolutely no idea how to even get on a chairlift. And uh, I said to him, I said, Doug, how do, I, I, how do you get on? He said, it's no problem. You'll feel it hit your legs, and when you feel it hit your legs, you just kind of sit down. And I thought, well, that's simple enough. And so uh, next thing I knew, something hit my legs. So I sat down, and, and we started up that mountain. And he's talking to me, and I'm thinking to myself again, self, you've never gotten off of one of these either. And he said, hey, it's no problem. He said, all of a sudden, you're just going to feel your skis hit the snow, and when it hits the snow, you just simply sit down or, or, or just kind of slide off of the chairlift. And so next thing I knew, he was gone. It's like a partial rapture had taken place, and he was with Jesus, and I'm still there. And I look, and he's sliding down, and I'm looking towards the top of that mountain, and it's snowing up there, right? 
I mean, it is, it's cold out, it's snowing, and I'm going, there is no way I'm riding to the top of this mountain. And I looked down, and in a split moment, I had a decision to make. Either I was going to ride to the top of that mountain where, did I mention to you, it was snowing up there, all right? I'm either going to do that or I'm going to jump. I had to make a decision whether I was going to stay or whether I was going to go. And I made a split decision that I was going. And so I jumped off of that chairlift, probably this high in the air. There's a bunch of high school guys standing down there watching the new cool youth pastor jump off of the chairlift. And I jumped off and I landed on my skis like that. And they all kind of looked at me like, wow. I'm like, hey, that's what I do, right? And we started down that mountain then, and I'm here to tell you that he left me. He left me. And as we made our way through that snow, every time I just decided I would, I would, every time I couldn't see anything, I would just fall down and I would scout out, you know, you've, some of you have been there before. I would scout out the next place which I could fall and I fell down there and I would scout out the next place and I made my way down that mountain and I'm here to tell you that story. And, um, and that was an exciting day, as I, as I remember. But at that particular moment, I had to make a decision whether or not I would stay or I would go. And that decision to go determined the story that I would tell today. And I want to tell you today that the, the things that you're going to decide to do today to go could very well determine the stories in which you will tell tomorrow. I want to remind you of a couple of things that uh, we talked about the past few weeks. Number one is this. The story we live today is the result of the decisions that we made in the past. The story that you're living today, the circumstances that you're in right now, are a result of decisions that you've made in the past. And here's what's also true, just a reminder. The story we live uh, and tell tomorrow is going to be determined by the choices and the decisions that we make today. And so our big idea in this whole series is the decisions that we make today are going to determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. They've de de determined and decided what we're living today, and they will determine what we're going to live in the future. And, and sometimes our story is influenced heavily by a decision to stay because deciding to go is way too much of a risk, and it is much more comfortable to stay put. Other times our story is determined by a decision uh, to go when it could have been much easier to stay comfortable. And here's what I know to be true about Scripture. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who did just that. They responded to God's leading in their lives. They stepped out in faith, believing that God would do something that they couldn't do on their own that was so much bigger than anything that they could accomplish on their own. And almost without exception, those that accomplished great things for God, they were, get this, they were risk takers. How many of you would say your life is characterized by risk taking? You're a risk taker, all right? About three of you. There's always three, right? Now, most of us, our lives would not be characterized by risk taking. I would characterize my life in a lot of areas other than snow skiing. I would characterize my life as being somewhat of a risk taker. I do not want to be in a situation, typically, that is, that is comfortable. I like taking risk. I'm comfortable with risk. I, I say that, calculated risk. 
And without exception in scripture, all of those that you see God use in an incredible, miraculous way, their lives were characterized by being risk takers. They had faith that God would do what he said he would do, and so they followed him. They were willing to lay it all on the line. In fact, Hebrews 11 gives us a list of these people. I'm gonna name a few that are in that list and then some that aren't. Noah trusted God and he went outside to build a big boat right in his backyard. Now, if that's not risk-taking, I don't know what it is. He was expecting lots of rain. Joshua went to march around the walls of Jericho, trusting that God would cause those walls to fall down just by simply having he and the people march and then blow trumpets. Moses made a decision to go before Pharaoh and trusted God to use him to lead his people out of Egypt. Esther decided to go before a powerful king and plead for her people. Shadrach and his friends made a decision to go into a hot furnace rather than bow down to an idol. Daniel went to pray, even though he knew he would be fed to hungry lions. Elijah went to a mountain to confront the prophets of Baal. He poured water on a sacrifice and then prayed to God that he would consume that sacrifice that he had just doused with water. And then we get to the New Testament, you remember Peter. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water toward Jesus, even though he knew he could drown. And all of these people took risk in order that they might accomplish something great for God. I want to spend some of our time this morning looking at the life of Abraham. And if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis, to the book of Genesis chapter 12. We first meet this man named Abram in Scripture. Some of you know God at one point changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Just a side note, when God changes your name, that's usually a big deal, right? Apart from Jesus Christ, though, Abraham is probably the most important person uh, in all of Scripture. Abraham is a giant in Scripture. In fact, we can uh, look at men like Moses, and we can look at David, and we can look at the Apostle Paul, and these were, were, were very great men, and God used them in really incredible ways. Some of them penned the Scripture that we have. God used them in that way. But each of them would have agreed without qualification that Abraham was the father of their faith. And no one can understand the Old Testament without understanding Abraham's in, in, Abraham. In fact, in, in many ways, the story of redemption begins with God's call of Abraham. Abraham was the, the, the first man that was chosen by God for a role in God's plan of redemption. Uh, The story of Abraham contains uh, the first mention in Genesis chapter uh, 15 uh, of God's righteousness being imputed to man as the sole means of salvation, not based on any good deeds that they did on their own. And then great sections of the New Testament explain the spiritual significance of Abraham and his life. In fact, an entire chapter uh, in the book of Romans is uh, devoted to God's dealings with Abraham to support our great doctrine of of justification by grace through faith alone. There's two chapters in Galatians that refer to the life of Abraham. And then obviously we meet him also in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. Here's what's also important to understand about the life of Abraham. It's impossible to understand Abraham's life without realizing that there was nothing in Abraham that commended him to God. 
In fact, God doesn't look down from heaven, and I think it's very important for us to understand, God doesn't look down from heaven and look at certain ones of us and go, look at that guy right there. Now, if I could just get him, look at her. If she was just on my team, look at her. Look at the way she interacts with people. Look at the way that he looks. Look at his winsome personality. God doesn't do that. God doesn't look at us in that way. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, uh, Paul said, they're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that do, does good. No, not one. And that included Abraham. In fact, I think a lot of us don't realize that Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. In fact, there's no doubt that at one time, Abraham probably worshiped idols himself. This is stated in at least three different places in the Bible, in Joshua 24 and Isaiah 51, and then in Genesis 31, we clearly see that some of his uh, relatives still owned and they cherished idols at least three generations after God calls Abraham and gives him a promise. Why, why do I mention all of that? Because I think for some of us, we believe that if, if we ever got to the point in our life where we would step out and part of our, our story would be deciding to go, to take a little bit of a risk, to step out of that comfort zone, that comfortable life that we have, for some of us, we would never do that because sometimes we think that these people that we read about in the Bible are somehow super Christians, that they had something special, something good that was uh, uh, going on in them that we can't have or uh, don't have, and it's not true. There was nothing that was special and good about Abraham. In fact, as we see in Scripture, there was indeed a lot of bad. And so that's where we pick him up in Genesis uh, chapter 12 uh, and verse 1. Let's read together there. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, Go from your country... And leave your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you. Now, it seems obvious, but I want to go ahead and say it. And that is to go somewhere else, you have to I am now. Yes, I like that. All right, verse 2. Let's jump back into verse 2. Don't, 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 uh, don't let me lose you. God then makes this promise to Abraham. He says, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's a pretty incredible uh, promise that God is making to Abraham. I ask those of you that are young fathers, some of you that are getting ready to expect your first child, some of you that are getting ready to expect your second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, tenth, uh, but, but no matter where you are, what if, dads, God came to you and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. It's at that moment that Abraham must have scratched his head. And if you're familiar with Abraham, you know why. He's probably saying something like this. Are you, are you sure, God? Do you realize that the missus and I, we have zero children? Count them, zero. And we've been married for a long time. Trust me, we've been trying. <laughs> And while I've enjoyed that process of trying, there has been no kids. There's none. And so when you say to me that you're going to make of me a great nation, how is that even possible? And later we read in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5, it says that God brings Abraham outside on a bright and starry night. And he says to him, 
Look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Imagine what Abraham must have thought. You're going to make of me a great nation, yet I have no kids. I don't even have one kid, and you're going to make of me a great nation. And so Abraham has a decision to make. God says, I want you to leave where you are that's really comfortable, and I want you to go. And he's got a decision to make. Should I stay or should I go? Many of us probably have never stopped to consider the consequences of Abraham staying rather than going. In fact, you often hear God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, if Abraham had not decided to go, if he hadn't decided to be obedient, if he hadn't decided that God really meant what he said, there would have been no Isaac, there would have been no Jacob. And I want to tell you this morning that for most of us, times in our life come when there is something different that we know we're supposed to do, maybe someplace new that we know we're supposed to go, and we would do well to consider the very real possibility that staying where we are rather than going might very well have far-reaching consequences, not only for us, but for other people uh, as well. It's certainly true in marriage. If you're supposed to go and you stay, it has ramifications not only for you, but for your spouse as well, for your kids as well, for your grandkids as well. Verse four says, so Abraham made the decision. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now I wanna stop there for just a second because the fact that he was 75 years old, the reason he was 75 years old when he departs and he decides to go and do what God's called him to do is because he's waited for a very, very long time. God in chapter 11 had already told him to go and he had started that journey, but then he had stopped rather than going and fulfilling what God was calling him to do. And I know there's some of you that are here this morning and and you're uh, in an age category uh, like I am. You know, toward my late 40s, I don't really want to say quite 50 yet because I won't be 50 until February, but you're kind of at that point in your life and now you've bought into the idea that because I decided a long time ago that I would stay, now I'm this age and I can't possibly go. That's where some of you are right now. And you've bought into the idea that because you're at a certain age, somehow now you just have to sit back and you just got to make the most out of whatever circumstances it is that you find yourself in today because you made a decision back there to stay rather than go. Abraham is a great testimony to all of us because here he is at 75 years old and he says, I'm going to go. This time I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to listen. I'm going to believe that God just might do what he says he's going to do in and through my life. Verse five says, Abraham took Sarai, who would later have her name changed to Sarah, his wife, and Lot's, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. He's walking around, he's on his way to Canaan and God just whispered to him, hey, by the way, everything that you see here, I'm gonna give to your offspring. It's at that point that Abraham must have looked toward heaven again and said, God, one more time, you do realize I have 
No children. Zero. Count them. Nada. None. And yet he believed because he kept going. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8 says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going to the Negeb. Here's the deal. If you're unwilling to take a chance, you'll never ever discover what living by faith is all about. If you're not willing to take a chance, if you're not willing to take a risk, you will never, ever understand, you'll never discover what living by faith is all about. If you have to have all the answers before you make a decision, if you're afraid to take one step unless you know things are going to work out to your advantage, if you're most concerned about your comfort, faith will always be a mystery to you. One of my favorite uh, pastors to read and listen to is Pastor John Piper. And he said it this way, by removing eternal risk, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. When the threat of death becomes a door to paradise, the final barrier to temporal risk is broken. He says, Christ calls us to take risks for kingdom purposes. Almost every message of American consumerism says the opposite. Maximize your comfort. Maximize your security. Now, not in heaven. Christ does not join that chorus. He goes on to say, To every timid saint wavering on the edge of some dangerous gospel venture, he says, God says, Fear not, you can only be killed. Luke 12, 4 says, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Yes, by all means, maximize your joy. How? For the sake of love, risk being reviled and persecuted and lied about, for your reward is great in heaven. You'll never understand what living by faith is all about unless you're willing to take a risk, unless you're willing to step out. If you have to have all the answers, if you have to see the path clearly marked out ahead of you, you will never, ever, ever understand what living by faith is all about. And so let me ask you this question this morning. What has God called you to go and do that you're not doing? And you say, well, hey, you're making an assumption that God's called me to go and do something that I'm not doing. Yes, because I've been a pastor for about 28 years now. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that most of us, the majority of the time, are not doing some things that we clearly know God wants us to do. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is it that God specifically called you to do, generally called you to do, that you're not doing? Because maybe you don't want to risk loss. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be uncomfortable. What would you attempt for God if you knew that success or failure did not depend on you? I want to make a few suggestions, all right? Because some of you always need just a little bit of prompting, right? Um, and the Holy Spirit may be working in your heart right now. And now the Holy Spirit's going to use me as well to kind of prompt you just a little bit, all right? About some things that you may need to do, you may need to go in order that your story might be different in the future. Number one, how about thinking about going to the next cubicle at work to tell a coworker about Jesus? You say, you don't understand if I were to do that, what the consequences might be. I'm saying, 
just, just take all the risk and just go, I don't care what it is. I am going to share Jesus with that person this week. In the next week, I'm going to go to lunch with them. I'm just going to put it all on the line. So that in the future, because you went, you can tell a story. Hey, remember that time that I came to your cubicle? <laughs> and I told you about Jesus and that I had a relationship with Jesus and you placed your trust in Christ as your Savior and as a result of that, isn't that an awesome thing? That might be your story someday if you decide to go. How about this? How about going to our kids' ministry to teach a class? How about that? And some of you say, that's where I draw the line, all right? You're getting a little crazy now. That is risky. I think it's really risky. Here's why. I'd rather speak in front of 5,000 people than I would five kindergartners. I really would. How many of you are just like that? All right, not many of you want to speak to 5,000 people. I get that. But I'm telling you, I am big time intimidated. I remember when our son Jordan went to Christian school for a couple of years and his teacher asked me to come in and do chapel for the kindergarten. And man, you would have thought that Billy Graham called me and said, hey, can't make it to the next crusade, planning on traveling all over across the continent of Africa and I want you to go and speak for me. I mean, I would have much rather have done that than gone and done chapel for these kindergartners. I was scared because here's what I found to be true. Adults lie. We do. They'll go out of here a little while from now and, 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 and you'll go, hey, it was a great message. Even if you didn't understand a word that I said and you plan on making no application of it in your life, you'll say something like that. Hey, it was good to see you today. Even if it wasn't good to see me today, right? Kindergartners, they don't lie. Well, they do, but they lie about other things. <laughs> I'm just thinking about kindergartners that I've had living in my own home. They do lie, but they just lie about different things. A kindergartner, when you're sitting there teaching them, a kindergartner may look at you and go, um, is there any more goldfish? Uh, can I go potty now? Or actually, maybe I went potty already. They could say that too. I mean, they, they, they just do things like that. And that's the way it is. And that's why I don't, I just, that's intimidating to me. Some of you, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to go to our kids' ministry and you need to teach a class. And here's how your story will play out. Years from now, some not so little kid's gonna walk up to you and gonna say, hey, do you remember me? You were my teacher. Just like I did with Sam Wong when I baptized him today. I remember Sam when... <laughs> He shouldn't be in a baptismal tank, I can tell you that. <laughs> and the joy that comes years later. Some of you are gonna experience that. It's gonna be part of your story when you decide to go. Some of you men need to do this. You need to go to men's fraternity starting on October 13th. You've made so many excuses. You have a routine that you have in your morning. You get up, you know, you read the newspaper, you watch ESPN, you do this, you do that. Um, some of you need to make a decision that starting October 13th, I'm going to go to men's fraternity and I'm going to, I'm going to stop living on an Island all by myself. I'm going to interact with other men. I'm going to let them challenge me, uh, uh, on biblical principle and how to be a better dad, how to be a better, um, uh, uh, husband. And as a result of that, some of you are going to tell a different story in the years ahead. You're going to say, I remember when I went to men's fraternity and I started going and I really wasn't a good dad. I wasn't, you know, I, I went and played with my kids, but I had, I had no purpose as far as the, the spiritual, their spiritual development. As a result of going there, it's different. I'm the spiritual leader in my home. 
I'm a better husband because of what I learned there. And men challenge me, challenging me in that area. Some of you need to go and start a new ministry in our community that could meet the needs of people. <laughs> and you've rationalized why you couldn't do this. There's somebody that's better than you. There's somebody that's more qualified than you. You don't have the time. You don't have the money. You don't have a place. You don't have this. You don't have that. Just this week. And I'm, I'm burdened for this, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to do about it, but I know I'm supposed to say this today. I interacted over the last couple of weeks because of some men working uh, at our home um, that d don't speak English. And for the first time, and I've been around um, Hispanic uh, friends, people, but for the first time, God actually just kind of touched my heart for these guys that I so wanted to communicate with. And all we could do was go like this and, and smile at one another and them say to me, you like? And me go, eh, it's good, you know. You know, I, enchilada, you know, taco, I mean, lost trace, I know that. I could not communicate with them. And I said to Diana, you know, we need to be doing something. We need to be teaching these people just a little bit of English. And teaching them a little bit of English will open up an opportunity to share with them the greatest thing that they could ever know, and that is the gospel. Some of you have that ability, and you need to go. You need to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to start a class. I'm just going to see who shows up, but I'm going to start a class. Some of you need to leave the security of your current employment to pursue missions or some other type of ministry or career. You hate your job. The only reason you're staying there is because you're going to get a pension. And yet slowly, every single day that you go to that job, you're dying because you know God's got something different for you. And you're so tied to a paycheck that you would rather just kind of coast on out. And that's the way your story is going to be at the end. Some of you need to leave that job. Maybe you need to pursue another job. Maybe God's calling you to some type of ministry or some other uh, pursuit, but you need to do that. Some of you need to go and need to downsize your houses. You need to do something. You need to live more within your means in order that you might be able to do something that you can't possibly even think about doing now. You need to go right now and you need to make those plans so that your story can be different in the future. Here's what I know. When God calls us to step out, to go, he's calling us into a story that's much bigger and much greater than we could ever imagine. That's what God wants to do with us. That's what God wants to do with you. I, I look back to uh, several years ago when um, I first said to Diana that we should, we should start a church. <laughs> and I'll never forget my sweet, kind, gentle wife looking at me going, are you crazy? Like, why would we do that? Why would we leave all of this? And trust me, I was thinking the same things. And yet I can't imagine, even this morning as we were baptizing people and as I'm in here this morning and I'm looking at so many of your faces, I cannot imagine my story if so many of you weren't part of it. And yet so many times, that's exactly the situation God puts us in. He says, are you willing to go? Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to risk? For some of you, it really is as simple as that. You need to make a decision today to go. And I wanna encourage you to take a step of faith that will define the story that you're gonna tell tomorrow. I don't know if it's one of those things that I mentioned or if it's something totally different 
that I'm talking about here and the Spirit of God is moving and prompting in your heart something differently, I, I just want to say this to you. Don't let your story be summarized by a statement like this. I wish I would have gone. I wish I'd been willing to take some risk. Instead, I decided to stay and do the easy thing and stay in my comfort zone. And unfortunately, that's the story of my life. Sometimes we're comfortable simply because we're doing what we want to do and not what we should be doing. And the truth is, as I said earlier, that God calls us to step out of our comfort zones, not just some of us, not just a few select people. He's calling all of us to step out of our comfort zones, to decide to move, to go, so that we might have a story worth telling. And for so many of you here today, the decisions that you're going to make today, for some of you, you're going to decide, I'm still going to stay put. I'm too old. Too much water's gone under the bridge. I'm going to coast out and be with Jesus just like I am right now. For others of you, you're going to buy into the idea that God has a grander story. He's got something that he wants to do in and through you. And like Abraham, you're going to believe. And you're going to step out in faith. And you're going to tell stories years from now about moments like this when you made a decision to go rather than stay. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Abraham for many obvious reasons. I thank you that he believed you and as scripture says, it was counted unto him as righteousness because he believed you. He stepped out in faith. And I thank you for how his life is an example of you taking somebody that seemingly is worthless and useless. In fact, sometimes as a 75-year-old man, we'd think, well, my, 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 my prime years are gone. <laughs> and yet his whole story is marked by a man that finally said, I'm just going to step out, I'm going to go, I'm going to believe that God's going to do something. And as a result, we have the gospel today. God used him in that way. And all the people of the earth are blessed because we have the good news of the gospel. God, for most of us, you might not use us in that significant of a way, but we all have a story. We want you to be the author of that story, the perfecter of our faith. God, I want so much for my friends here today to live a story worth telling. So many of my friends that are here today that have bought into the idea that they can't possibly now go back and do things differently. God, I pray that you would use your spirit today to convince them that today can be a new beginning. They can decide to step out in faith and do something, to have faith that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say you will do. God, I can't help but think that there are some younger people here today and their story is just beginning to be written. For some of them, they have 70, 80 years of life ahead of them. God, cause them to be people who take risks, 
for your causes. Cause them today to make a determination that they will go where you want them to go. They'll be what you want them to be. They'll do what you want them to do. God, we don't want to live safe, comfortable lives in Cary, North Carolina. We want to be committed to seeing you do great things in and through our lives as we're totally surrendered to you. So God, use your spirit right now. Move in us in a big, big way. And I pray that you will cause people to make decisions today that will affect stories we tell tomorrow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.